Uh, we're going to be looking in uh, Acts uh, chapter 11. We've had that passage in the uh, message. Uh, it might be in a minute. I'll, we'll look at it again out of the NIV so you can follow it. Or if you want to turn it up in the NIV, you might as well do so now. It's on page 1105. What we do in Portswood Church, and welcome to you if this is your first time with us or you're looking around if you're a new student. I don't know if there are many new students around at the moment. I think they're all drifting into Southampton, uh, and we may see some in the next few weeks. But what, one of the things we like to do is, is really look at God's Word together every Sunday. We want to be learning from the Bible, and as Lou says, we've got this new series uh, uh, we're starting today uh, called Growing Church. Because uh, our vision as a church is to be growing. And uh, as, as we've already thought, and, and it's not just simply in terms of numbers, but we're thinking of growing in three particular directions. Some of you who've been around, along, uh, around, along, around for a while will be familiar, but it's good to be reminded, isn't it? That we want to be growing upwards towards God, knowing his presence together in our lives. As we walk with Jesus more closely, we need to be growing kind of towards God. Uh, like, you know, flowers towards the sun, we want to be kind of uh, stretching out towards him, growing uh, upwards, if you can use that, that expression. We also want to be growing kind of towards one another as a community, inwards, helping each other to grow through the ages and stages of life, growing spiritually, growing in our pilgrimage, in our walk with Jesus. And uh, going all that comes into our lives, we want to be able to, to together uh, grow uh, in our love and our care for one another. But we also want to, don't want to just be inward looking, we want to be growing in an outward direction too. Into the world, whether that's the locality of Portsmouth, through all the different things we do as a church, or through our neighborhoods and networks as house groups and as people are at work, as Ken shared, and, and lots of other people are out there sharing, living, wanting to be growing in that outward direction, and then across the world too. Um, we've got a number of people connected with our church fellowship who are working in other places. Those of you who may not have heard, uh, uh, George and Corinne got back to Central Asia. They had a, an amazing, actually we should have shared that as an answer to prayer on Thursday morning. Uh, got a message from Corinne saying, George is at the embassy, doesn't look like they'll get a visa. Um, they, although it's just possible they might do it today if they don't do it today. We can't fly tomorrow. We'll lose three airfares in the process. So I texted a load of about 30-odd people uh, on my phone. Please pray for Corin and George. And uh, half an hour later, came back. He's got the visa. We can go on Friday. Great answer to prayer. So in the wider world. So it's not just about numbers. Though we're wanting to pray, we are praying for many more people to come to know Jesus and to be part of this community and the other communities in, in this city. Now where do we get this vision from? You know, is it just the Western cultural mantra, you know, that growth is good? You've got to keep growing or something's, uh, you know, wrong. Is it that we're trying to be like a business? Is it that there's, or there's this ambition that we as leaders have got and, and we want to grow something really big and spectacular? Is it that we've just read books or been influenced by certain speakers or whatever and we want to try and be like them? Is that where it's coming from? No, it's not coming from those places. We get it in God's word. Jesus talked a lot about growth as he talked about how the kingdom he brought in would work. 
Growth was going to be part of it. We see it in the stories he told, the parable of the sower, one of his most well-known stories. It's all about growth. Hundred times fruit from the good seed, that, or the, the soil, rather the seed that goes into the good soil. He told a parable of the mustard seed that was only a small seed but grew. The parable of the, the yeast that spreads throughout the dough and so on. And as you can carry on reading through the New Testament after Jesus, and we read about the communities that grew up centered on Jesus, about what God was doing in the world through those people. It's always or often described in terms of growth, in terms of harvest. And as Lou said, just like with life, it's normal to grow. So it is with spiritual life. It's normal to be growing. And this for the early church was all rooted in their experience. It was the norm for them, for their lives individually and for their communities. And in this series, we're going to be looking into that experience that they had as the early Christian communities. We're looking in the book of Acts, uh, and we're also looking into some of the New Testament letters, you know, from uh, particularly we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians and Corinthians for a bit. Uh, Connecting what Paul writes to those communities that were kind of birthed at that time, seeing what we can learn. Now, Acts is a very exciting account. If you've never read the book of Acts, it's the the book that follows uh, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's, There's a book then called Acts of the Apostles. It's a really exciting account. It's a historical account written by a historian who was present for a lot of what he wrote and certainly was very close to good sources for the things he wasn't present at. Luke, he writes this historical account of how it all started, how the church began. It starts off in Jerusalem just after Jesus' resurrection. And he shows us how the followers of Jesus become this new community where Jesus is with them by the Holy Spirit. They're formed by the truth of who Jesus is, why he came, how he can bring us to God. And there's this message which Luke calls the word, uh, as he, ex- he uses a particular word, and it comes up time and time again, including in the passage we had this morning, actually. The word, this message about Jesus, this good news. And as they shared that and lived that, so other people believed it and be- became part of their movement, as it were, and these communities began to grow. They're given life by the Holy Spirit, working in them and working through them. We looked at Acts, those early chapters. uh, I looked it up about five years ago. I don't know whether anyone remembers it. 2008, we did a series on the first few chapters of Acts. So there's this exciting start You may remember the story of the day of Pentecost and how the Holy Spirit came and and those early 11 disciples without Judas now, plus their families and friends. God comes into their experiences in a brand new way and they spill out onto the streets. Peter, one of the apostles who let Jesus down, finds boldness to explain what's going on and to tell everyone that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King that God had promised. He tells them that there is life and there's forgiveness in Jesus. And 3,000 of the people who crucified Jesus, who were probably there six weeks earlier saying, crucify him, 3,000 of those people turn and become believers. They repent and they believe on that day. And 3,000 people are added into God's church. 
Other things happen too, and it all gets started. And these early chapters of the book of Acts, chapters 1 through to chapter 7 and chapter 8, tell us all these stories of their ups and their downs, and mainly it's ups, and some amazing things are happening. There are some downs. Uh, Persecution is one of the rather big downs. And, uh, And one of their leaders, their key leader, Stephen, is executed in Acts chapter 7. So that everyone has to scatter except the apostles, the leaders of the church. They stayed in Jerusalem, everybody else, for their own safety, probably or possibly because of what Jesus told them to do when things started getting rough in Jerusalem. They left. They got out of the way. Sometime, if you're interested, read Acts 1 to 8 when you're at home. Uh, you sit down this afternoon and get the pace of it. It's a very exciting story. Now, here's a question. How do you as a Christian, or me as a Christian, or if you're not yet a Christian, how do we relate to those kind of accounts in the early book chapters of Acts? They're exciting accounts. In many ways, they're foundational, aren't they? They tell us what the church really is, how it was formed, what it does. So it's very important. But here's the question. Is this what we expect today? Is it, should it be like it was then, today? It's a big conundrum. And, you know, Christians have had debates and arguments and exchanges about this for quite a few years, actually, probably for centuries. Different people say different things. Uh, I, I was once um, uh, in a church somewhere, not in Britain. I was visiting. Uh, in, it was in, in the U.S., actually. Um, and... Um, we got there and it was an interesting Sunday because uh, it was like today. It was a day after a wedding, but they'd had a wedding in their own church. And, um, and the assistant pastor had got married the previous day. And, and the pastor who was, began his sermon started talking about the assistant pastor getting married and going off on his honeymoon. And that led him to, to start talking about his own honeymoon. He was in his 40s, this guy, probably about you know, 10 years younger than I am now. And, and he started telling stories of his honeymoon and... I think probably he told us rather too much about his honeymoon and, you know, uh, what great sex they had on his honeymoon, all that kind of thing. And, and you know, I think quite a few of us got quite a bit embarrassed, really, you know, as uh, I don't know how, well, I hope he checked it with his wife before he told this story. <laughs> and he went on about this, and as I think we all got more and more embarrassed about, about it, uh, he, then, he then kind of made the point that actually... Um, Acts for the early church, he thought, was like the honeymoon, you know, where there's, there's lots of action, you know, lots of um, things going on. Um, but uh, he kind of implied that as marriage goes on, it's perhaps not quite as, uh, you know, sure there's still fire, but maybe not quite that much, you know, as it goes on. He said, well, the book of Acts is a bit like that. It's like the church's honeymoon. Oh, loads of sparks and wonderful things are going on, uh, but, you know, it kind of settles down later. Well, it, uh, you know. It was, I would say, I think we were, even after he told us and got the point, I think we were still a bit embarrassed, really. But, um, oh, well, I was. But, but, and I hope you're not now, but I've been very restrained in what I've said compared to what he said. <laughs> Here's the question, though. Is that true? Is that right? Is that what, you know, is that really, you know, we say, well, you know, that was Acts and it's all calmed down now and it's not. I'm talking about Acts and, you know, the Holy Spirit, not you and your marriage. I'll leave that for you to talk. Certainly there, there is a lot about those early days in Jerusalem that did make that time special, for sure. 
I mean, Jesus was known. I mean, those 3,000 people who, who repented on that day, as I said, probably many of them would have seen Jesus going through the streets of Jerusalem. And Jesus had been raised from the dead, and many of them would have known about that or would know somebody. I mean, Paul later says 500 people saw Jesus at one time. So, so you know, in a smallish community, people would have known about Jesus. They'd have known about the Messiah. And when they said, what should we do? We've crucified the Lord of glory. Those, but that, so that was kind of special. And when the Holy Spirit came down in, a, in a, a really spectacular way, then, of course, it grew. But I'm really glad to say, and I don't know whether you would agree with this, that the, the book of Acts doesn't stop at that point, does it? Because the book of Acts goes on to tell us that the message about Jesus, the life he gives, the kingdom he brought into being, grew way beyond Palestine. And way beyond those people who knew about Jesus and knew that they'd crucified and knew that he'd been raised from the dead because someone had told them. It went way beyond that. And God worked in ways similar to he did in the early chapters of Acts right out across the Roman Empire. So I don't really believe with that American pastor that, you know, it's all confined to those first few chapters. Because the book of Acts tells us it continued. Maybe differently, but in the, it, there was this key... Um, experience of God at work in communities, communities uh, like this place we're going to think about today, Southampton. Sorry, places like Southampton, Antioch, places where people knew nothing about Jesus, places where people had no idea who God was whatsoever. If you said the word God to them, they thought about something on on a pedestal in the local temple. If, if you said Messiah to them, Jesus the king, they just think, what? What are you talking about? Caesar's the king. In those kind of communities, things happened. God's church grew. Cities like our own. So the key thing is, if it's possible there, why couldn't it be possible here? So this city we've read about, Antioch, about 500,000 people live there, or lived there, rather, it was north of Palestine. It was in the bit where Turkey meets Syria today. If you go onto Google Maps and Google Earth and you look for a city called Hatay, or Haytay, I don't know how you pronounce it, in Turkey, uh, a suburb of that city is called Antakya, and that's where Antioch was. There's remains of it there today. It was a crucially important city. Josephus, a historian at the time, said Antioch was the third city of the Roman Empire. You know, if you had a, you know, a, a, an expensive perfume brand in those days, you wouldn't put London, Paris, New York. You'd put Rome, Alexandria, Antioch. It was the third city of the Roman Empire. A really important place, really. It was the capital of that province. It was called by some the Queen of the East because the Silk Road kind of came down to Antioch. And then a little bit further off, there was a port called Seleucia where stuff would go off to Rome by ship or the road that you take stuff by, by road. So it was a cosmopolitan city. There were people from the east there. It was called the Queen of the East uh, by some people. It's a mixed city. People from China were probably there. People from all over the Middle East. People from the West. You know, it was a, a big cosmopolitan city. And we've read about what happens in, in that city. We had it read to us from the message. And let's have a look at these verses in more detail now. What happens? 
Well, as we read, lots of people become followers of Jesus, don't they? There's growth, and it keeps going. It makes an impact. Verse 26 is an interesting verse. It's almost just in passing, the last phrase. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know, we call ourselves Christians today. That's a direct link to what went on in this city at that time. Why is that interesting? Well, it shows what an impact this community had made in that city, doesn't it? People around, it was a nickname that the people who weren't Christians used of the Christians. And it, the, the word means Christ's ones. It was like, you, know, you could talk in the time about Herodians, um, the equivalent in the Latin language, which people spoke in the Roman Empire as well as Greek. It was Herod's ones, Herod's people, people loyal to Herod. So Christians, Christ's ones, were people who were loyal to Christ, people who were known about uh, for something. They were known to be Christ's people. Now, this is interesting, if you may bear with me, because it's actually a misunderstanding. Because Christ was not Jesus' name. You know, some of us maybe think, if you, again, if you're new to Christianity, you may think if you, that Christ is Jesus' surname. You know, if you looked up, you know, Christ in the Bethlehem telephone or Nazareth telephone directory at the time, you'd find Christ, you know, Jesus or Joseph. You know, no, that's not it at all. Christ was not a name. Jesus was his name. But the early believers talked about Jesus being the Christ, the Messiah, the King that the Jews were expecting. But the people around them in Antioch weren't Jews. They didn't know anything about God. They didn't know what a coming king was about. It just meant nothing to them. All they heard was Christians banging on about Jesus, who was the Christ, the king. And they thought that was his name. And so they thought, oh, these people must be to do with Christ. Uh, so even the way they got the name is an index of how much impact this community were making. Because ordinary people had no religious background at all, knew that these people were there, and that they were banging on about Jesus, who was Christ, the king, and they said, they're Christ's ones. These are the king's people. Not even really knowing, some of them, what that was about. It's a real, I think, exciting impact. Now, we'll find out a lot more about this community next week. But today, I just want to briefly look at where this growth came from and what's at the heart of it. Because here's the question, could it happen here? Could we know this kind of growth in our city, in our church, or the churches in our city? Is it possible? So if we find out what was behind it, maybe we can learn some stuff from it and be encouraged. Here's the first thing. Where does growth start? Verses 19 to 20, it starts with people talking about Jesus. It's not as we've already thought uh, in the service earlier. See, those people who were scattered when it got hot in Jerusalem, do you remember I was telling you about those earlier on? They were not the apostles. They weren't the leaders of the church. They weren't the kind of full-time well, you know, professionals, the ones who'd been with Jesus. And uh, These were the, everyone else. The apostles stayed where they were. Everyone else scattered. Ordinary people, and they traveled, and some of them went north. And some of those people who went north didn't come from a Jewish background, but from other places, they had become believers in Jesus while they were in Jerusalem, earlier, you know, at the time when it all kicked off in Jerusalem. 
Uh, and, but they didn't come from Jerusalem, all that area. They came from places like Cyprus. Well, you know where Cyprus is, or Cyrene, which is in North Africa. And these people kind of went off, traveling around across the Roman Empire, and one of the places they came to is Antioch. And they start, because they're not from Jewish backgrounds, they start talking to people who are from the same backgrounds as them, but with no Jewish stuff on board. And they start telling those people, people that maybe they knew. You know, some of them were from Cyprus. Um, and, uh, you know, they would have gone up there. And when they got to Antioch, they'd have, they'd have been a Cypriot community, as there always is in, you know, with big cities. People, you know, who, who kind of are from an ethnic group. New people come, they find out where they are. They, that's the first place that you go and make your friends and get to know people. And that's what these people did. And when they did that, they started talking about Jesus. It's quite basic, really, isn't it? And what are they talking about? Verse 19 tells us. They're spreading the message. Verse 19. The word, God's word. That's what they're sharing. They're talking about Jesus. They're telling them, verse 20, good news. That word is the word we have for evangelizing. That just simply means good newsing <laughs> it's just good the good news about jesus was just kind of part of them it just kind of dribbled out or it was just what they knew we don't know what they did exactly but they talked about jesus i say we don't know whether they had meetings or anything that i guess probably not they just carried on as ordinary people as i say they weren't the high-powered leaders they didn't have you know they were just out there living their lives and as they lived their lives, Jesus was known in their lives as they spoke about him. Perhaps like Ken shared, interesting how it connects. You know, they were in a, their workplace and, you know, they prayed for somebody. And they saw Jesus work in someone's life. And that person said, where do you get that from? He said, well, it's about Jesus. Maybe it was that. We just simply don't know. But we do know that they went about being open about Jesus. That's how it began, with this honest openness. They shared this truth, this word. They talked about Jesus. Could we do that? Just being what we are as believers in front of the people we know. Just asking God for an opportunity, maybe to mention Jesus. Not pushing it. We don't want to be those people that, you know, if they ask you the way to St. Mary's, you say, yeah, but do you know the way to Jesus before I tell you the way to St. Mary's? Not like that. But just people who, you know, see Jesus in us and ask us questions about that. People we might offer to pray for. I was with an old lady once in our old church. Uh, she was a great, she was really good at this kind of stuff. Uh, I was buying a computer. Well, she was buying a computer. I don't, I don't know why. She thought I knew something about computers. This is a long story. I know nothing about computers. This was a very long time ago. It was the days we were going about to buy a PCW. So there you are. Those of you who remember Amstrad PCWs for her. And I had one. That was all I knew about computers. I had one. She didn't. Anyway, we were talking to this guy who was going to sell the computer. And he kind of mentioned something. And, and she... And she um, she, she said, he said something about his life, I think, he, and, and, and he'd obviously had a tough time. And she said, she said, you know, I find praying about these things helps. And he said, oh, do you? And I thought, what a simple way, you know, just to, he could have said nothing. 
She didn't say much, but she just said that. And she found herself. And I thought, oh, so that's how it's done, you know. I'm not very good at that. But she just naturally did that. Anyway, that's growth starts with people just talking about Jesus. We've got to rush on. Secondly, growth starts with the Lord doing something. Look at verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, we don't know, again, what exactly happened, do we? But we do know that the Lord was working. That phrase, the Lord's hand, it's an Old Testament phrase. It's a phrase that's used in the Old Testament when God does something. Sometimes we read about the Lord's arm is not shortened, that he cannot save, he cannot intervene talks about the Lord's hand being upon people. It's a phrase that basically behind it is this idea that the living God was doing something in that situation. People believed the message, it says. A great number of people believed and they turned to the Lord. They believed the message, but it's not just at the level of ideas. They turned to the Lord That's what conversion is. It's believing the truth, or at least enough of it, to enable you to turn to the Lord, welcoming him into our lives, into your life, knowing him in your experience. A new center. Turn to him and turn away from sin. We turn away from the other things, the other gods at the center of our lives as we see the Lord, Jesus. He's the one who calls for our loyalty because we believe the truth but we're going to turn to him that's happened in Antioch why not here you know that's why we pray that's why we pray whether we're together like here whether we're in a house group whether it's at the house of prayer or if you can join the house of prayer online whether you you pray or you get a text and you uh, from somebody and you pray about it Or in a situation where there is a need, like after the service, there'll be people here. If you want to be prayed for, there'll be people to pray with you. That's why we do that. Because we're turning to him. The Lord we love and follow is to be part of our lives. And we're looking to him to work and to do things. Verse 24 says a similar thing. When Barnabas goes uh, and joins them, more people, a great number of people, it says, were brought to the Lord. And that word in in the original is the word, it says, added to the Lord. Uh, Luke has this word. He describes becoming a believer as being added, being kind of connected, being put in, in, in touch with the Lord Jesus, knowing him in a personal way. It implies a life in touch with a real person. Jesus who works in our lives. We need to know that, don't we? We need that in our experience. We need to live it. So growth starts just as people talk about Jesus. It starts as the Lord does something, but it goes on. Because Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem to see what's happening in Antioch. And he sees gods at work and he gets involved with them. I love the way the message puts it. He, he launched himself into it. And he was that kind of a guy, Barnabas. Wish we had more time to hear about Barnabas. He's one of my heroes in the Bible. Great guy. But uh, Barnabas was from Cyprus. Ring a bell? Where were those people who were talking in Antioch? Got it going, going? They came from Cyprus. So the Jerusalem church, when Barnabas says... I'll go and see how they're getting on. 
I'm from Cyprus. It was a natural choice, very wise choice to send someone who knew them. So here's the third thing then. Growth means keeping going. Because that's Barnabas' big message. Here's a key part of their growth, of their growth rather. As Barnabas arrives, what's his message? Well, he realizes that turning to the Lord, being brought to the Lord, being connected to the Lord is just the beginning. Because what's Barnabas' message to them when he comes in verse uh, 23? He, he says he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. To remain true to the Lord. To keep going. Some of the other versions translate this in a different way. So the RSV says, cleave to the Lord with steadfast purposes. Uh, and uh, the, the, another version says, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. Barnabas' message is to these new believers, great, you're connected to Jesus, you've started. Now, you know, you've got to keep going. You've got to remain true just as you've come to the Lord, just as you've, you've turned to him, just as you're, you've started with him. So you need to keep going. You need to keep on growing and going with him. And we need to get hold of this too, don't we? It's part of our community. That's why we come to church. That's why we have house groups. That's why we want to encourage one another in prayer partnerships and discipleship and so on. Because we need to keep going, to keep growing individually, keep growing closer to the Lord. The disciples keep following. They keep fresh. And Barnabas showed them this as he taught them, but his character showed it too. Because what does it tell us about Barnabas? It says he's a good man, he's a man of great integrity, but he's full of two things. Do you notice that? What's he full of? He's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's full of faith. There it is in verse 24. He's full of faith. He believed that God can be trusted. He believed that God can work. He believed that whatever it looked like, and sometimes it's like this with faith. You know, you pray for someone and, and, and you know, you, it seems so hard. And you think, I can't see anything, but I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to ask the Lord. I'm not going to stop praying. I'm going to keep going. And Barnabas was like that. He believed. He knew what God could do. He knew that God could be trusted. Whatever he looked like, he kept hold of it. But he's also full of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just know it in his head. He believes and knows that this God, that Jesus, would work through him, work in what he did, would give him the word to say, or give him the prayer to pray, or give him the courage to say something, or whatever it may be. And this combination, to know that God can work, to know that Jesus is reliable, faith, and to ask him, to have that kind of faith to say, Lord, yeah, I'm going to ask you to please work now in this situation by your Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. We need both those things. They're a key part of continuing. Growth means keeping going, keeping going in faith, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. So growth gets started then with people just talking about Jesus. It gets started with the Lord doing something. It carries on as people continue with Jesus. 
Because the keeping going was so crucial. In fact, you see how crucial it was. And it's one of the lovely things about Barnabas. He built a team. Where is Ian? I can't see him. A team of people that love Jesus. See, Barnabas realized that there were so many people becoming believers in Antioch that he couldn't, he couldn't cover it himself. And he remembered someone he met called Saul of Tarsus, who was in, I think, Tarsus at the time, yeah, because he went and looked for him. And Barnabas said, I know Saul could really be helpful here. I'll go and get him and bring him back. Because see, for, for Barnabas, it wasn't just about him and what he could do. He didn't think, well, I don't want to share this with anyone. He was thinking, it's so important that these people keep growing. I'm going to get Saul of Tarsus to come here. He's just the man for this. He's, he'd be brilliant at this kind of stuff. And he brings him. And the two of them, this, this, out of this is a tremendous partnership starts, which we'll, we'll, we'll hear more about next week, between Saul or Paul as he became and Barnabas. But the reason Barnabas did it was because the keeping going was so crucial. Nothing matters more to him. So, growth in a city full of people who know nothing of Jesus. Growth as people start being willing to openly talk about Jesus. Growth as the Lord works and people believe and turn to him. Growth as they realize that following Jesus is ongoing and that they're going to keep going with Jesus close to him. Growth that comes out of faith, trusting God for what he can do. Growth that comes by the Holy Spirit, knowing God at work and actually asking him to do things and seeing him work in situations and lives. Now that's what happened in Antioch. Here's a question then. Is there any reason why it couldn't happen in Southampton? Can't think of any, but I'll leave that for you to decide. Lord, we simply want to say, would you please work among us? Would you please grant us that, that, that trust in you, that fullness of your Holy Spirit that gives us a confidence just to be where you want us to be and for you to shine out of us in what we say and in what we do. Give us the faith and the Holy Spirit's power and gifts to pray and to believe and to keep going on with you, close with you, through our lives. We pray, Lord, that we may see growth among us and in this city, among all the churches in this city, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.